This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. Did you know that Duct Tape Marketing is more than a powerful system for small business marketing? It's also a network of independent marketing consultants around the world who use the Duct Tape Marketing methodology to help small businesses grow. Check it out at ducttape.me slash 123go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Erica Dewan. She is a globally recognized leadership expert and keynote speaker helping organizations and leaders innovate faster and further together. She's also the author of a new book we're going to talk about today, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. So Erica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. So I know it because I've seen some chatter in a, on Facebook or in a group that we belong to that you've been working on this book for a long time, but gosh darn it, your timing's pretty good, I think. I've been working on this book for four years, but let's be honest, really a lifetime. Yeah. We've all lived in a world where we've spent our lives mastering traditional body language and on-the-job feedback, courses, books, <laughs> but I truly believe that this is the moment where we need the playbook of digital body language. No, no question. So let's start by setting up, what, are there distinct differences between digital body language and the body language that we're used to sitting you know, across a desk or in a room? Absolutely. Digital body language are the cues and signals we send in our digital communication, not just in video body language, but also in emails, in text messages, and IMs that really make up the subtext of our messages. Let me give you a few examples. Let's start with traditional body language. When someone smiles, we know they're showing excitement or happiness. And when we actually physically see them smile, our, something in our brain lights up to want to smile back to them. What does smiling look like in a digital body language world? It may be multiple emojis or exclamation points in an email exchange. It may be actually sending them this sense of gratitude with multiple symbols or gifts. It may also mean in a video actually showcasing that we're smiling or using other cues like nodding to showcase our happiness. Let me give you another example. Listening. When we're listening carefully in traditional body language, we may have our head tilted to the side, be nodding or bobbing. When we show we're listening in the world of digital body language, we read emails carefully. We don't send multiple typos. We're conscious of whether we're on mute or not. We don't multitask. So what we all knew what was implicit in traditional body language, now we have to show in, expli in an explicit way in the world of digital body language. So let's, let's tackle the one that I think a lot of people also relate to that's probably very closely related to body language, traditional body language, and that's the Zoom calls that we're all on. Is that a, to me, that's a form, certainly it's a form of digital communication. So are there body language differences or, or things that people should be paying attention to or watching out for? There are a few things that everyone should be paying attention to, uh, especially signals they may not even realize they're sending in a digital Zoom call. Let me first put us back to the moment of what really happens at the beginning of a face-to-face -face meeting. We walk into the room, and if someone's looking down, we know whether they're 
upset or they're not in so great of a mood. Maybe the weather's bad that day. Someone else walks in really excited. We know they're ready to engage with their eyes raised or a smile. We see someone else walk in on the verge of tears. We know to ask what's going on. Now, let's be honest. In the Zoom meeting, whether you're off video or even on video, in those small little video boxes, it's much harder to not only see what's going on and read those signals of others, but also to show empathy. So let me give you a few practical tips around how you can create trust and connection, even on the video Zoom call. Number one, remember that showing a good impression on that Zoom call starts before the meeting. Always arrive prepared, have a clear agenda. Even a simple good meeting title in your meeting calendar invite is like the new first impression. <laughs> thoughtful of individual's time. Number two, when you come to the meeting, and especially if you're presenting, actually look into the camera. There is a study that shows that we make eye contact about 30 to 60% of the time when we're face-to-face. -face. I recommend, especially if you're speaking, to look into the camera about 60 to 70% of the time. Of course, it's important to check in and read others' body language, but you want to actually show a connection with others. Even though you can't see them, they can feel more connected to you when you're looking at the camera. And number three, make sure that on a regular basis, you are not too close to the camera where they're looking you know, at your nose or your forehead and you're far enough that they can see your hand gestures. Yeah. Even though we can't see full traditional body language, it can make a great difference to show cues, whether you're listening and your head's bopping or you're excited about something and actively use tools like the chat to showcase not just that you agree with someone's comment, but to share a specific idea that, again, reinforces your interest in your commitment to others. So those are just three tips, but some simple ones that will allow you to showcase that sense of engagement, even on a Zoom call. I'll tell you one thing that I've done really through this entire year of doing more and more virtual. And maybe it came about because I've, I've done a lot of virtual my whole life, but I typically have meetings standing where you and I are recording this right now. I'm standing because I just have a lot more energy if I do that. So I don't know if people have adopted that. I happen to have a standing desk, which I spend about half my day at anyway, but I find when I do these calls, I, I hope I'm always standing. Can I give you one soapbox thing for me? I totally agree with the whole look into the camera thing. But the challenge with it is when I'm looking at the camera, I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I know. And I think a lot of people probably have that issue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that recommendation is really when you're presenting yeah, yeah, to yeah. someone, maybe if you're in a sales meeting or if you're trying to connect with someone you've never met before. Yeah. However, if you're in a group discussion, I think knowing when to stop the screen share, get into gallery view and have a conversation can be very effective. The general rule of thumb is that to run a good Zoom call, you have to think like a TV producer or TV host, who an individual that has always had to connect on a screen and brings in individuals for different segments. So know when to say, instead of asking, what does everyone think or who wants to share? Instead say, I'd like everyone to go into the chat right now and share their thoughts. We want to hear from everyone. And then I'm going to call on a few people that have a different opinion. This is a simple way to use the varied mediums we have to actually get more input and be more inclusive than we were in a traditional office meeting.
because in the tradition, you don't have that tool sitting around a table. It's whoever, you know, whoever puts the donut down. You mentioned this word. And I was going to ask you a question about this. What role does trust or established trust already play in this? For example, I could send a really sarcastic email, 12 words to one of my coworkers and they get it. They know exactly what I'm trying to get across. There's no like question. I don't need emojis because we have a high level of trust. What role is there like a, an inverse? Like if somebody doesn't know you at all, you better over communicate that. Is there a scale on that? There are two questions that we are always answering that guide how we read others' digital body language signals and how we often and why we send certain signals. Right. The first question is, how much do we trust each other? Are we close friends uh, who have known each other or colleagues for years? Then we may send those one-liner subject line emails uh, or not really worry about even being on video on a Zoom call. Or is this someone we've never met before? We're trying to get on their calendar. We're trying to sell to them. This is where it's incredibly important to understand where you lie on the trust level. And if there is low trust, perhaps start by erring on the side of formality if Again, there there is a situation where you're trying to grow that trust, but also don't be shy about being authentic as you get to know one another. The second question we're always answering that guides our digital body language is how much power do we have between each other? Mm. If there's a high power gap, maybe again, you'll choose to set up those formal Zoom calls versus sending them a text or calling them out of the blue. However, if there's a very low power gap, Sending that quick IM with some informal shortcut language can go a long way in actually quickening up or deepening a sense of engagement. It's interesting, but a lot of people people talk about body language in a way that's, yeah, I got a good vibe from that person, or we really connected. And a lot of that's a lot of that's without getting too woo woo. A lot of that's sort of felt energy of being in in the place. So how does how do you send that <laughs> or how do you connect with that in, in the digital space? Because I think that's a really important, especially when people, Hey, you meet that person for the first time. And you're like, I really like that person. A lot of it's just because of their body language or their, we could go farther and say their energy or their aura or something, but how does that go across cables? Research shows that roughly 75% of communication is our nonverbal body cue. So in a world we're up to, 80 to now 100% of our communication is virtual, how do we replace those signals and cues? I think that the general rule of thumb that I discovered in my research for my new book, Digital Body Language, is that today we don't, we don't talk the talk. We don't even walk the talk. We write the talk. Yeah. And actually written communication and, and verbally how we express that communication has a new level of importance. My general rule of thumb is writing and speaking clearly is the new art of empathy. We can no longer rely on bombastic, gregarious body language, deep voices, being the tallest in the room. A lot of those traditional body language biases to get heard, to get respect, to get credit. Today, we have to think before we type. Write clear, concise, succinct messages. Be thoughtful of others' time and make sure that we're designing ways to be really inclusive when we can't be face-to-face. And that involves not just relying on our clutch of traditional body language, but understanding the whole new set of rules of digital body language. That's funny. I'm old school. I'm old, actually, which makes me old school too. But I was always very, 
I nothing drove me crazier than when people wouldn't use capitalization or punctuation and things in their email, which what you're saying now is if that's our only form of communication in some cases, we sure better get it right. But I, I was always a, a stickler for that. And I hated emojis. But now I don't say anything funny in an email without putting an emoji there just to make sure that people really do get it. And I think emojis were silly originally. That's my take. And I think now they've become actually very used correctly. They've become essential communication or as you might call it, body language, haven't they? That's right, John. So similar to the ways that we started to wor use words like super or my bad in awesome. the workplace or awesome, <laughs> now they're commonplace in the workplace, we are in the brave new world. I'll call it the wild west of exploring a whole new level of signals and cues with symbols and punctuation, even in the workplace, emojis, capitalization, exclamation points, multiple periods. These are not trivial punctuation marks. According to the old elements of style book, they have new meanings today. For example, capitalization and all caps message for some people can feel like it's shouting for others it can feel like excitement. Emojis are like the new facial expressions. Uh, it can mean anything from happy, sad, excitement, upset, and they help people provide cues, especially when humor and sarcasm online can be very difficult. And even simple things like a period. One research study showed that if individuals put a period at the end of a text, for some individuals, they thought that person was angry or frustrated, especially skewing younger. For others, it was just good grammar. So one of the critical elements of digital body language is to assume the best intent, check your own bias of what you interpreted, and always know when to switch the channel or change the channel. One of the best things I like to say is a phone call is worth a thousand emails. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor, the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. If you are a consultant or agency or coach, let me ask if any of these ring true. Do you have trouble getting in front of enough ideal Clients, are you constantly being forced to compete on price? Are you working too hard and not making enough money? I've got a free ebook for you. It's called The Seven Steps to Scale Your Practice or Agency Without Adding Overhead. You can go get it at ducttapemarketing.com slash no dash over. That's ducttapemarketing.com slash no dash over. Go get it today. What role do like generational differences or even cultural differences uh, play in uh, this ability to communicate? In my book, I break down the differences in digital body language across cultures, generations, even genders. Mm. What I've studied and identified across generations is we all know that generations are really a manifestation of the way the world is changing. Not all millennials are the same. Not all baby boomers are the same. But what I did categorize is that there are different style, digital body language styles. On one end, we have digital body language natives, those that are thriving in a remote work environment. They love informal chat tools. They will never read a voicemail, but they may send a voice note. They have common norms for how they use, they use a lot of shorthand and they have frequent shorter messages. On the other hand, end, we have what I call digital body language adapters. These are people that feel like immigrants to the new world of digital body language. They can't wait to get back to the office. They have a reluctance with technology, some of the new things still, and they have longer, more perfect grammar that they've learned for a long period of time. One example of this is my father. He's a 75-year-old physician, and he's a digital adapter, and I'm a digital native. And when he sends me a text message, it starts with, 
Dear Erica, and ends with Love Dad. And I have to scroll down because it's so long written like a letter. And I haven't quite taught him that a text is not the same as a letter, but it's just an example that we are all on different wavelengths. So one of the best things we can do is understand that there are differences in our workplaces, in our communities, in our own families. And so check your bias, assume good intent, and know not to misread or get emotionally hijacked and when to pick up the phone or switch the channel. All right, Erica, I'm going to ask you to try to check your bias. Is there such thing as digital mansplaining? Digital mansplaining is an actual researched term <laughs> that that is a phenomenon which we all know of as mansplaining, but amplified online. Now we're all familiar with mansplaining as a common term where I have four daughters. Four daughters. <laughs> I think, John, you're about to mansplain me, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, so how does that show up in a digital format, in a group chat? It could be certain individuals not referring back to other individuals' comments or questions, but actually just sharing their own blatant comments. It could also be constantly interrupting individuals on a Zoom or a video call. It, it could also look like trying to take credit in email ex group email exchanges for certain work that was done by another individual. These are just some of the examples. These are just some examples of digital body language at sorry. These are just some examples of digital mansplaining at play. And I think what we can really do is take a second to think about when can we pass the megaphone? When we can we provide and use various channels so that more people can share input? We find that often introverts are more engaged when they're writing in the chat tool versus just speaking out loud in a video call because they think better in writing than in speaking. And they were already struggling for airtime in the office. So simple tactics like this, being thoughtful about it can go a long way in fighting digital mansplaining. And I'm going to suggest that you're not necessarily saying that's a gender thing. That's really more of a behavior. I like to say that digital mansplainers are really just digital interrupters. So <laughs> not a man or a woman. Sometimes I find that I womansplain my own husband. I truly believe that it's a behavior we can all unlearn if it's something that we are exhibiting or we can help others realize they may be doing even if they don't intend to. Yeah, my daughter's uh, favorite line would be, Dad, I just asked you a question. I didn't know you were going to torture me <laughs> when I would suffer from a bout of, of such a thing. So what are, are there a handful of bad habits that you see all the time that people just need to stop doing? There are a couple of major digital bad habits. I'll call them the digital pet peeves that get in the way of building trust and connection. The first one is constantly being in a rush, uh, not giving time for thoughtfulness, just rushing for speed. Remember that we are not robots, and oftentimes leaders may unintentionally be rewarding the fastest person to respond versus the most quality ideas, and it can cause major groupthink. Number two, stop multitasking. Right. Rampant multitasking is pervading all of our lives, and a simple way to solve this is even initiate things like what I call the Zoom BCC, like the email BCC, when you want to loop someone out when they don't need to be there any longer, and then they just start multitasking. Just write in the chat, BCC this person, so they, they can drop off casually. Simple ways like this can just allow us to be more thoughtful of everyone's time. And number three, 
actually respond and follow up when you said you would. There is a lot of chasing down, a lot of having to follow up with individuals. I think a big tenant of digital body language is saying what you'll do and doing what you'll say, following through on your commitments. So don't become one of those people where everyone feels like they have to follow up and be a nag. A lack of communication can cause distrust and you want to stay ahead of it. Let's be honest, we still have email fatigue and Zoom fatigue, but having some set principles to improve your responsiveness to communication can go a long way in creating that level of trust. You know, what's interesting, and this is a personal note that probably won't have anything to do <laughs> with what we're talking about, but I get as people that are that do what I do, I get 10, 15 pitches a day for being on my podcast or whatever it is. And for a long time, I just ignored them because I just, I just I can't respond to all these. That And so then what happened is I get three, four or five follow-ups, right, <laughs> from that person. And so then it's, wait a minute, I'm multiplying my problem in some ways. And my approach of late is to, the fact of the matter is I'm not going to have this person on my show because I have a certain process. I, have a, I can only do 100 shows a year, lots of reasons. So I'd now write an automated email. It is something that I don't write every single time, but it is glowingly sticky sweet about how awesome it was that they reached out. And I will tell you that is one of the best <laughs> forms of communication rather than blowing people off or just writing back. No. And I get actually more positive response to that response. And I think it's just a simple thing that people, people can do in our busy lives, isn't it? I think that is a perfect example of good digital body language, John. Another example that is a daily practice is at the end of a video or a phone call, send a quick email recap of action items and next steps. Yeah. I like to say that's the new virtual handshake that seals the deal and closes the meeting because we don't feel that same sense of connection at the end. And it allows us to avoid when we're in the next meeting to talk about what was happening in the last meeting and to make sure we're truly all on the same page. And it's cool. There's a whole body of tools coming out now that are actually making that really easy where they'll transcribe like Chrome, the new Chrome uh, browser. Uh, all of a sudden now, like when you and I were doing this, it was transcribing as we were talking. And so there's so many tools now that, that can make that really that process really easy. Totally agree. So, Erica, tell us where people can find out more about your work and, and digital body language. My new book, Digital Body Language, is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble's indie stores, you name it. Also on Audible. And if you want to learn more about me, you can learn more on my website, ericadewan.com. And if you order the book, go to ericadewan.com slash digital body language, and you'll get a set of free resources, including toolkits, uh, style guides, quizzes to assess your own style and that of your team. So... Erica, when you write a book called Digital Body Language, do you run the risk of everybody going, like, how'd I do? How was my body language? Was I, was I like on point today? I am getting, it's hilarious. I am getting uh, emails where people made a typo and then they'll immediately send me another email <laughs> fixing that typo uh, or asking me whether, what I think of their video background and feeling judged. And one of the one of the key things I say is just be yourself. I think if we can be more of ourselves and more thoughtful of others, we can show digital body language in a way that will bring us together, not apart. Yeah. Amen. Erica, thanks for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Hopefully we'll see you one of these days when we all get back out there on the road again. Thank you so much. 
All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team. Mm -hmm.